Welcome to the Vancouver True Crime Podcast. So in this podcast, I'm going to do a kind of an overview of what I plan to do in the next upcoming podcast. It's been a while since I put a podcast and and I kind of have a, a direction and a focus of what I would like to do with this podcast and putting out quality content for you to listen to. So why should you care about crime in Vancouver if you're not from here? Well, there's quite a lot of it. And I think Vancouver is a cautionary tale for a lot of cities. And I know every major city has a lot of crime and especially large American cities. And I don't know how Vancouver crime would compare to somewhere like Detroit or Chicago or even New York City. But these are cities that are quite a lot bigger than Vancouver. But see, the difference between Vancouver and those cities is that Vancouver is a relatively small place, meaning that if you take the entire city of Vancouver, which is like the city limits, it's barely scratches over a million. I think the city of Vancouver is probably about, hmm, I think about six, 700,000 people, not even a million. But then if you take the whole metro Vancouver, like all the suburbs and, and the whole surrounding area, you get about 2 million people that are pretty spread out in, in, in quite an, a large area. Now, if you take that small population, most of the people in Vancouver are very law-abiding, hardworking, honest, good people. And this city I grew up in, I'm actually a fourth-generation Vancouver, right? My mom's side of the family are from Iceland. And they moved to Vancouver in the early 1900s. And my dad's side is actually, my dad is American. My dad currently lives in Denver, Colorado. And his people are, I guess, what they call Creole. They're from Louisiana, mixture of European, Native American, and Black. And I remember my grandmother, when I, who I was raised till about five years old, was full-blooded Indian. I believe her background was called Shata. I probably pronounced it wrong. I'm sorry. But the claim to fame, apparently Elvis was Shata native. Um, so I have a kind of an interesting perspective, right? I, I, I've been to a lot of American cities. I used to work for a large software company and part of my sales territory was over 40 cities throughout North America. Now, on one side of the coin, Vancouver is a very beautiful place, and I'm happy to live here. I'm happy I was born and raised here. The city itself is gorgeous. The beaches are beautiful. Summertime, there's so many wonderful beaches, trails. If you love hiking, if you're a boater, if you're into fishing, if you're into skiing, if you're into camping, fine dining. Vancouver has world-class restaurants. You know, it, it, it's actually a great city to live in if you can afford it. <laughs> that's, that's a whole discussion for another time. But however, on the surface, Vancouver is a beautiful place. Beautiful parks, lots of recreational sit places. There are a majority of people in Vancouver are health conscious. They're well, you know, maybe not the best dressed. That's a, another argument. People love to dress casual here. But... You know, some, there, there's a lot, you go online, they're saying, oh, you know, Vancouver people are kind of snobby. And it's not really the case because I, I'm from here. I understand what's going on here. 
people in Vancouver have kind of a, they have a shell. They're kind of icy. But once you break the past that, you, you can build really quality friendships here. But there's a lot of crazy people here. There's a lot of, see, the city, it's almost like it's two, it's two cities. There's the normal people, the healthy people, the health conscious people, the attractive people that come here for acting. Vancouver has one of the largest movie industries in North America. So many movies, so many TV shows, so many Netflix specials. Seems like every science fiction show on Netflix was filmed in Vancouver. I recognize all the places, right? So there's a lot of actors, a lot of people that come here for, for work in the entertainment business, right? So there's that, there's that Vancouver, you know, there's a Vancouver for, I call this one Vancouver, the beautiful, you know, the Vancouver, like I, as I said, my territory, I used to travel to 40 major cities throughout North America. I was always happy to come back to Vancouver. I, I spent some time in New York. I love New York. New York, of all the cities I've been to, had the most impact on me. Like the city that I think about, oh, I'd love to go back there. I want to go back there. But hey, New York is kind of grungy. It's kind of dirty. You don't see a lot of green stuff. And when I came back to Vancouver, the green, the fresh air, the 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 quiet, the tranquility was just so overwhelming from a place like from New York. So on the surface, there's like this, there's this, there's this beauty, this greenery. Um, like I said, I, I don't think there's a, a better place in North America if you if you are an active, healthy, outdoors, athletic person. You know, it's it, it, again, it's it's a gorgeous city. The neighborhoods are amazing. There's so many diverse neighborhoods. People tend to get along pretty good here. You know, there's there's a lot of community here. There really is. There's a lot of great community here. There's people that pull together during hard times. There's neighbors that help each other. You know, when someone's in need, people will pick up the pieces. But then on the other side, that's you know, we're talking about the beautiful Vancouver. Now I'm going to talk about the ugly Vancouver. And the ugly Vancouver is kind of like underneath the surface. There's a lot of mental illness here. See, the thing is, is that Canada is a relatively cold country, especially in the wintertime. And a lot of people with mental health issues or drug addiction or just kind of like the underclass, you know, they migrate here because they think it's a warmer climate. They think it's going to be easier here. And that's not the case because Vancouver's not an easy city to break into. You got to know people. You got to have a bit of a, you know, in. It's just the way it is. It's a small community. It's a small city, right? And sometimes it's not the most friendly to outsiders. It is, it is, it is what it is. And so if you come here and you have no money, and you have mental illness, and you have an underlying drug addiction, you're going to get marginalized pretty fast. And and what's happened is that, think of it as like the last stop at the train. So let's say you're from somewhere, let's say from Toronto, right? And you have a drug problem. Maybe you effed up a lot in, in your city, and you, made a, you burnt some bridges and saying, hey, I'm going to go to Vancouver and start again. And I've known people that have done this. They come here. And they're, first of all, they're shocked at the, the sticker price of what rent is. That cost of living is high, right? 
they find it hard to meet friends because, you know, people from Vancouver who are health conscious and, you know, have good things going on, they don't really want to invite someone in their life that has drug problems and not from here and may be cause problems because I can tell you so many nightmare stories about, I've seen it so many times. It just, it just like, you know, just to call it simply, Vancouver is the mental health capital of Canada. Most therapists, most psychiatrists, most patients. There's a lot of people that have underlining mental illness, a lot of outpatient programs, a lot of people that come here and it's not what they expect and they get marginalized. Then, Vancouver the Ugly, the availability of drugs is nowhere like I've ever seen anywhere in the world. And I know drugs exist everywhere, but nowhere have I ever seen an open-air drug market in a three-block radius like Hastings Street where I can score crack, heroin, fentanyl, pills, meth, probably in 30 seconds. Could walk down the street, hey, got meth, got a boom, someone will have a handout. Like it's, 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 it's an open-air drug market. So if you're a recovering addict, maybe you had a drug problem in the past and you come here and maybe that job didn't work out, like you said, because there's a lot of bullshit here too. No, maybe I may be wrong, right? We'll break this down. People come here. They're not prepared for how expensive it is. They're not prepared that, hey, you know, these Vancouver people seem a little cold. No, the Vancouver are just weary because they've been burned. They've been, you know, trust me on that one. They, they met someone and then next thing you know, they're, they're you know, they're, they're, they have a problem in their life that they, you know, they don't want to deal with. And so it makes people kind of more standoffish to new people, especially people that party and do drugs and things like that. In Vancouver, the ugly, you can get drugs really cheap. And guess what? Now you can make lots of friends. Now you feel welcome because you have drugs and you're generous with them. You're going to make lots of friends, right? So to put this in perspective, I probably was more of a binge drinker rather than a binge drug user. I've used drugs in the past, but I don't use them now. Smoke a little weed, but don't really do anything like I don't even drink alcohol anymore. I had a lot of very high paying jobs. I worked in the uh, IT industry. I worked in the stock market industry. And, and a lot of times after work, you'd go out to blow off steam, decompress, and you'd drink heavy. And I found I was always a person that seemed to be the most generous when I was drunk. Boom, I had all these friends around me buying rounds and rounds of drinks. I felt like I had all the friends in the world. Stop doing that, those friends disappear, and now you're lonely. So that just gives you perspective, right? So drugs are very easy to get. Then what happens to a lot of people here is they get in over their head. They can't afford their drugs anymore. They can't afford their rent, and they get themselves into a crisis situation, and they end up homeless. They end up on Hastings Street, or they end up in one of these awful hotel rooms that are full of bed bugs. And now to cope with that, they're doing harder drugs. It's a cycle I've seen so much, right? And if you prob if you went down Hastings Street and you took the majority of the people there, I would say at least 25 or percent more. And I'm just doing a guesstimating. I have no statistics, but I would just, from my understanding, I would say majority of those people are from out of town. The reason why I say that is that I have a friend that's a social worker 
And they, a lot of his clients are from people out of town. And it's one of the things that the ministry does or ministry of social services. They like to send these people back on one-way bus tickets because other jurisdictions in Canada send their people here with one-way bus tickets. So it's like all these different jurisdictions and cities are sending all their unwanted by one-way bus tickets. But also with that, you're getting you're getting sex offenders, you're getting drug addicts, you're getting people evading the law, you're getting all kinds of problems. And again, there's this perception, Vancouver's beautiful, Vancouver's awesome. It's, it's like the California of Canada as far as weather goes, right? Maybe not so much in the wintertime, but you know, the weather's pretty mild here compared to the rest of Canada. So it tracks a lot of people for the wrong reasons or people that come here for the right reasons and they get in over their heads with drugs because the drugs are so available, right? And then there's a crime aspect. So in Vancouver, the beautiful, people are pretty law-abiding. They don't get involved in drugs or crime or anything of that nature. But then there's the Vancouver, the ugly that comes here specifically because our judges are pretty limp-wristed. Like in the later podcast, I'm going to break down some cases that are just so outrageous that you're just not going to believe. So typically in the States, right? So I'll give an example. As someone who I spoke of, and if you go to my Instagram page, you probably could find my friend Kevin that I posted about. Maybe I'll repost again him about him again. I actually want to do a podcast specifically on him. Maybe I'll do that in the next few podcasts. But anyways, my friend Kevin I grew up with who was had all the potential in the world. He was a he was an actor. He got A list. He got like he got like top level acting gigs, like where he had lines and you know, he could have really went far with his acting. He was good looking. He was into martial arts and boxing and working out and, you know, had a really great physique. But he also had a serious drug problem. And one day when he couldn't pay for his drugs anymore, he started robbing people. He started doing armed robberies. Well, in the States, he would have gotten 10 years and he probably would have went to a pretty serious prison. Here, he got five years. He was allowed to leave the prison and work at a sawmill where he made over 20 bucks an hour. And when he got out of jail, he had over 30 grand saved up in cash and was able to start his life. But then this led him you going back in the cycle of drug addiction, you end up dying of an overdose. So anyways, that's a whole nother tale. So the point is, is that if you are a criminal and if you are, this is a good place to operate from because our federal government is relatively weak compared to the states. Like going against American federal government, going up against American federal government, you are not going to win most of the times. I think the federal government in the States has like a 99 to 90-something conviction rate. I don't know what the is. I don't think it's that high in Canada. And the judges are probably not going to give you as heavy as a sentence if you are, and we're talking like if you're a major criminal operation, right? If you go, like say, for example, let's say you're like, say Asian organized crime. Most Asian organized crimes, they don't F around. They'll just execute you, right? They want to get rid of you. They will. Here, you know, you'd be able to afford the most best attorneys. The, the legal system definitely favors, you know, the defendants if they can afford, you know, top 
level uh, legal counsel. I, I've seen it and I will break this down in further podcasts, but I'm talking high level here, right? So just like in banking jurisdictions, right? There's companies that will move their corporate location to get better tax breaks. Like, you know, places like Delaware or the Virgin Islands or Cayman Islands. Like there's, there's jurisdictions where you will move your company assets so you can save on taxes and, you know, you take advantage of loopholes and blah, 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 right? So think about if you're a criminal organization. There's a place called Vancouver where the judges are pretty lenient. The sentences are not very high. There's highly skilled lawyers that really know the law and to your benefit if you can afford them. And it's a money laundering paradise. The casinos were allowing people to walk in with hockey bags full of cash on camera and then trading them for chips, like being in plain as day what they're obviously. So again, that was the last government, not the current government. So just to digress for a moment. So if the government didn't know that people were just walking into their government-owned casinos and laundering cash, well, shame on them. And if they did know, well, shame on them, but apparently there's some big fact-finding mission and we have, we'll get the answers hopefully in a year or so. So moving forward. So again, there's nowhere better on earth, well, maybe North America, to launder your money. So if you're a criminal organization, international criminal organization, right? You move here. There is an investor program. You can become a citizen if you pay, basically buy your citizenship. And, you know, I'll break that down in a later podcast. So basically they become Canadian citizens. They're, they're criminals, right? Because they buy their way in. They have access to our financial markets. They can launder their money through our housing because you could just buy a house through, you know, and that's what drove prices of housing through the roof because Vancouver became a holding assets for criminal organizations to hold their money in and then have access to the Canadian um, commerce and banking and credit and blah, 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 and all that stuff. Casinos to wash your money and all that kind of stuff, right? Then there's also a large population that consume drugs. So there's two major pipelines of people that are, there's, there's two major pipelines of people that are guaranteed to use your drugs. So, so, you know, that I talked about my earlier podcast, but a place called Wally, which is outside of Vancouver and it's a neighborhood in Surrey where it's a high drug using um, area. And then of course, Hastings street, it's like the massive pipeline, a million dollars a day of drug sales of people consuming drugs. So, you have access now to a huge population of people to move your drugs through, right? So that those drugs turns into cash instantly. Now, I, I, I want to say something or to tell you something. This is a true story. And it's so outrageous that I hardly believe it myself, but I witnessed it. So on Hastings Street, I remember I was looking for my friend Kevin and I finally found him because he would go and disappear. And I found him in this area called Pigeon Park. And Pigeon Park is kind of like a 
a rough area where people, a lot of people drink there. It's like a drinking spot, people drinking booze and, of course, using crack. So I found my friend Kevin at Pigeon Park, and I said, okay, I'm going to take you home, right? Time to go home. And he said, I just need one more piece of crack because he was smoking heavy crack at this time. And we'll we'll buy some crack, and then you can take me home because I need some drugs to wean off. I can't just go cold turkey. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And he goes, and I want to show you something that's going to blow your mind. I'm like, okay. So we're walking up Hastings Street, right? Kind of closer to, I guess, the Pender, like more around Pender, I believe. And there was this old hotel like really rough looking kind of like a, it was I think it advertised it was like for backpacking or something like that like hostel for out-of-town people but it was all homeless people and there was like a lineup down the street around the, but this lineup was moving fast he goes oh let's get in the lineup I'm like okay what the fuck's going on he goes I'm gonna buy some crack I'm like okay so we go in this lineup and the lineup moves fast and we're in the door Kevin looks at the guy says something the guy just kind of ushers in we walk into the hotel now this is a really run down piece of shit old you know barely you know it should be a condemned building looks like a condemned building inside right but there's probably about a hundred people in the lineup and the area inside the hotel lobby area is very crowded with people and people are going in and out fast we get up to the counter Kevin pulls out a $50 bill, asks for a $50 crack. The guy pulls out a big crack rock. He grabs it and we go. And I'm just looking, going, holy shit. And I'm just watching people. So every every second you can count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. People are pulling out tens, twenties, mostly because, you know, mostly it was tens and twenties and $5 bills. But but people are buying, you know, crack at $10, $20 a pop. But thing is, is as fast as you can count, as fast as that transaction is going. And, and this is open air. This is like everyone, you know, and down the street, there's a police station and there's patrol cars and there's cops on beats. And I, my mind is blown absolutely blown and i just said to kevin like how long has this place been operating for it was all oh, about a couple weeks now and i think eventually it did get shut down but but that's that's the type of drug atmosphere that takes place in vancouver like it it, it, it just blows your mind like i remember like i used to i lived downtown quite a bit and I would take friends, and when they come in front of town, I had this friend from Australia. He was a roadie, actually, for, like, rock bands, ACDC, the you know, big bands from Australia. And when he would come and do a show at BC Place, or at, at or at the time it was called GM Place, I think it's called Roger, it's Roger's Arena now, he he would, he would I let him sleep on my couch, because he just, you know, nicer than a hotel room, right? I let him sleep on my couch. He just, you know, had give him some, you know, he like, he, we hung out, right? So I remember one time I said to him, hey, you want to see something that will blow your mind? And it was a Welfare Wednesday, which is, you know, the day when all the people get on social assistance, get their checks. And it was summertime. It was August. And um, I remember it was that band. He was roadie for that band. And they, they, I can't remember the name of the band, but they had a hit song called How Bizarre. I don't know if you can Google that song, but I remember that was a song, right? He was here for. So anyways. 
I take him down Hastings Street during the height of Welfare Wednesday, and it is like just a carnival of mayhem and ambulance and cop cars and thousands of people just using and smoking crack and doing drugs. And he he just said, I've traveled all over the world because, you know, he's a roadie. Right, he goes, I've never seen anything. And then I point on Maine and Hastings. That police station has now closed. Like, and there's a cop station, right? There's a police. He 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 couldn't comprehend it, right? So again, Vancouver, the ugly, right? So massive drug consumption, which must attract people that are in the drug trade because Jesus, like you know, just a guaranteed, you know, take your take your powder, take your whatever it is, and turn it into cash. So there's that, right? And the strange thing that's always blown my mind all my life is that there's never seemed to be any major bust that shuts down Hastings Street. Never heard of it. They bust the dealers on the street. They do these little cleanups once in a while that just almost like are, are just don't really do anything. But you've never heard of some big organization, you know, name the one you can think of, been shut down and it now, now Hastings Street. Now, Hastings Street is dry as a bone. There's no more drug. You know, it just never has happened. And being around Vancouver all my life, and I remember when I was a kid, my mom would take me to Woodward's. Woodward's was a department store that was a BC department store. And they had grocery store on one floor. Then it was like, for, you know, department store. And they had every Tuesday, $1.49 day, Tuesday, $1.49 day, Woodward's, that was the jingle you heard on the radio. So my mom would take me to Woodward's. This is like in the 80s. And it was like a bit rough. And, you know, it was downtown. But we didn't, there was no fear. But then when crack hit, it changed the street. Like, I, I remember when, when it was probably like late 80s when the crack hit Vancouver. And it was a that's when it was like, okay, it was a bit sketchy, you know, maybe keep lock your car door or whatever, you know, but it went from that to whole, and my mom stopped going to Woodward's on Hastings Street. We went to the one on Oak Ridge after that. But yeah, when crack hit Vancouver and Hastings Street, that was a game changer in my opinion. Like they're like, as, as, as you know, especially when I talk to old timers and, you know, like maybe old, like remember I know an old biker, he's telling me like back in the seventies, you know, they'd go down to Hastings street and they'd get the stuff called wax. I don't know. Apparently it was some type of speed or something that they did. He used to always talk about that or, you know, and, and, but elk, but I think downtown that area was more known for rubbies as my mom would call them like alcoholics hobos people that would drink like you know cheap wine it was more like that was more Hastings street where people would drink you know and there i think there, there was always heroin but i think typically the heroin people would just buy their heroin then kind of go indoors you didn't see the the epic street life with with cocaine because now they're not sleeping. They're like, and they constantly need another hit, another hit, another hit, and and so that was a real game changer as far as like the dynamic of of changing the 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 scene of of Hastings Street, and then with that became more girls or more women getting desperate because they were getting hooked on cocaine and, and, and more of the harder drugs. And then they started doing prostitution and then that attracted the predators. And then um, 
the creeps that would target these women because they were desperate for drugs or dope sick, and then they were selling themselves for very cheap. And, and the other interesting thing to consider about Vancouver, too, is Vancouver's always had a prostitution, a high rate of prostitution. Like when I was a kid, I remember there was lots of prostitutes uh, along uh, East Broadway, which is kind of not the downtown, but there was lots along East Broadway. Because I remember my brother got a job at some government warehouse. It was like kind of like East Broadway and Fraser Street. It was like a government warehouse. It was called the Election Branch. I guess they had, a, they. it was a warehouse that had all the paperwork for, you know, upcoming municipal and BC elections. And, and in the summertime, they would uh, open the doors because it would get really hot. And I remember one time, I, me and my mom went by to get, give my brother his lunch. And there was all these really, like, cracked out prostitutes in bikinis, like, trying to go in. And they're, like, you know, they'd actually walk into the warehouse and, pro, you know, try to get a trick from the men working there, right? So this was kind of like 80s, right? So this is like when the cocaine really started to hit. You started to see this kind of stuff where you never saw before. And then in the 90s, it started to get really bad because there was more drugs, more pills. Um, I don't think meth was around. I think I remember meth kind of like in the club scene. Um, I knew a lot of gay guys that did meth even going far back as the 90s, you know, in that kind of club era, but it wasn't really, it didn't, I don't think it hit the street yet, but, uh, crack cocaine was, was, was the big thing in the eighties. And, and I'd say even up to the nineties and then of course now fentanyl and meth and, you know, all these different derivative drugs that are out there. So, yeah, so there's that. And, it, but, but going back to like early Vancouver, like there was Davy Street and there's a really a good documentary. You can still find it on YouTube. It's called The Hooker of Davy Street, The Hookers of Davy Street. And Davy Street was crazy. And the West End was the West End. Like, okay, so if you're not from Vancouver, this is very confusing for people who are not, if you're not from Vancouver, this is so confusing, but I'll break it down. So, there's the west side of Vancouver. So the city of Vancouver is divided by east and west, right? So Main Street divides the city. Actually, it's Ontario Street, but divides the city east side, west side, right? Traditionally, the west side was seen as more affluent, where the east side was more working class and um, more rougher, right? But then there's the West End. The West End is a neighborhood in downtown Vancouver, which is mostly apartment blocks and stuff like that. In the past, it was considered more of a gay area of Vancouver. And I don't think as much anymore, like Davy Street still has a lot of gay stores and gay clubs. But back in the day, in the 80s and 90s, it was a, it was a lot more uh, of a gay neighborhood and but but heavy partying it was like known for parties and things like that i'll tell some west end stories in another podcast because they're 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 incredible so there's the west end and then there's west vancouver which is across the water and west vancouver is probably the most affluent neighborhood in in all of canada like it's it's up there it's 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 so you have the north shore and, and one side of the North Shore is North Vancouver, and then the other side is West Vancouver. So anyway, so this is the West End, and it was, I remember even going, um, even into the 90s too, it was hookers all the way up Davy Street, all the way down into downtown on, on Seymour, 
and Robson. So there's always been in Vancouver this underbelly of street life, of prostitution and and drugs. And and Vancouver, the beautiful, is very different than Vancouver, the ugly at night. So at uh, Vancouver at night, there's lots of prostitutions. There was lots of uh, pimps that would come from different uh, areas, some from Seattle. Uh, they would have like this uh, circuit where they'd bring these girls and they'd go from Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton. I think sometimes even as far as Toronto, Montreal, it was like the circuit, right? And so there was a lot of that. There was a lot of clubs. There was, it seemed like there was more nightclubs back then, and a lot of really sketchy ones, a lot of after hours. And, and Yale Town, which is kind of like a more upscale area now, but back in the day, it was all these rough underground clubs and really sketchy. And, and, and Yale Town was where the male prostitutes were. And then just before Yale Town, there was a section of transvestite prostitutes that was around, I believe, Seymour Street, right? So in the small city, you had a lot of street life, a lot of street life. That meant also a lot of drugs. There was always a large population of, of people that consumed drugs in Vancouver. And, and with that creates crime. It creates violence. People fight over territories. And again... This is possible because drug offenses are not really cracked down on, especially on personal use and stuff like that. And the sentences are not very high. And, you know, there's not a really a, a, as robust of a criminal justice system. And I don't really even think that's the answer. I don't think, and I'm not saying advocating that's the answer of just lock everybody up. But at the same time, you know, because they never taken a very proactive stance on petty street drug use, it's been allowed to flourish, which has created other social problems. Again, bringing in more organized crime group because they're attracted to the money. They're also attracted to the ability to operate in a location where they can fight the legal system, you know. And, and you know, the, the not saying that the government doesn't have tools, and I think probably the the toughest tool the BC government has is, is civil forfeiture, where they will seize assets if they think it's pro, uh, proceeds of crime. I think that's probably the the best weapon, but that only really targets the people that are high up on the food chain, right? But again, these people have the ability to fight that. Someone who's just an everyday user and doesn't have a lot of assets, what are you going to take away from these people, right? You, you get what I'm saying. So... Uh, the, uh, the other consideration in Vancouver is the amount of people that go missing. And that's something I touched on in the past. And I continue, will continue to do so. The amount of women that go missing. Like, I have a big list of this women, the people that gone missing. Like, there's, I'm going to post later today of, of a woman that just gone missing, you know. When I first started this podcast, I was going to focus more on gangs and drugs. But I started noticing, and at first I noticed was these missing men. And I've, and I've talked about in previous podcasts, and I'm going to reboot some of them because I feel like I can do a better job at telling their story and have a little bit of a better skill set technically to produce some better uh, quality production value so I can tell their story better 
And so I plan to reboot some of the older stories. But anyways, a lot of people go missing in Vancouver. A lot of young people, a lot of young men, which is very strange. And it's very strange that these cases never get solved. Their bodies are never recovered. And and no one ever comes talks like it's weird that no one says hey you know what I I know something and then also the homicide rates in Vancouver is through the roof like I just looked at a new map a new homicide map and at my last count there's over five this is over a decade over 500 unsolved homicide cases in Metro Vancouver which is just astounding it's just it's just mind-blowing and most of them are are connected with gang activities so there's been a lot of uh, uptick of gang shootings recently. Even even in this weekend, there was uh, I think there was a couple shootings. I'm going to post some stories later on, but it, it is mind blowing. Like the again, this is a small city, right? With with uh, a relatively small population that consumes the most amount of drugs and and has probably probably one of the highest unsolved homicide rates of anywhere in Canada. I, 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 you know, I'd easily like would, would be comfortable saying that. So again, this is, this is the whole point of this, this particular podcast, Vancouver, the beautiful, the gorgeous, the scenic, the lovely neighborhoods, the communities, the world-class restaurants, the, you know, the, you know, there's just like, again, like I, I've been to so many cities around, around North America and I'm always happy to be back in Vancouver. You know, I do love this place. It's, it's a, it is my home. This city's like in my DNA. It's in my blood, but there's something unique and creepy and dark too. You know, this beautiful facade has a very dark underbelly. You know, like the Willie Pictons, the the murderous pig farmer that murdered women on a scale that's unimaginable. And we never really got the full picture on that. There there was a total whitewash on that. And nobody, nobody that I ever talked to personally, and I've talked to quite a few people off the record, no one was satisfied with the with the findings of that case. Everyone believes that something more was going on. And and you know, just to touch on it lightly, and I will devote podcast that really will do a deep dive in that whole thing that went down so people believe that it was a place if you were an organized crime or something that you could take a body to to get rid of so it was like a cleanup place you know get rid of the bodies but then there also were the the word on the street and, and i've heard this so many people from so many places from different people you know everyone believes that snuff movies were being made there Everyone believes that, you know, everyone believes that that was one of the things that they were doing. They were making these murder movies from poor women from the downtown east side. And then also Willie Picton. I do believe he did kill women, he, he, but he wasn't alone. You know, I'll break all that down too. And it, and it was atrocious that that was allowed to go on for as long as it did, you know, and I'll shed light on that. So, so there's that, right? There's... I believe that there's been a lot more active serial killers that have been hushed up. And and the other thing about a place like Hastings Street, and this is something that was talked about, I've heard, you know, people that who put a lot of time and effort talking about this, that a lot of people believe that Hastings Street is a place for what they call like dark tourism, 
you know, people that are like, you know, we've all heard about sex tourism, right? People that go to places like Cambodia and, you know, third world countries and molest children, which I believe they should be rounded up and shot for doing such a disgusting thing. But there's people that come to Vancouver for dark tourism. There's vulnerable women, there are drug addicts, you know, that they, that they can target and do terrible, sick things to. So, you know, some could be serial killers. Like, you know, we're talking about the Highway of Tears, right? See, what makes the Highway of Tears unique? Remember, Highway of Tears is not in Vancouver. It's in northern BC, but obviously a murderous highway. And what makes it unique, and when I was posting about it before, and, and people were saying, well, do you think they'll ever catch the serial killer? It's like, it's not one person. Basically, again, it's an isolated area where women are vulnerable. You know, women for who hitchhike, you know, maybe they're dependent. Or not all the women are hitchhikers. You know, that that is kind of like, you know, studying these cases, you know, yes, there were women that did hitchhike, but not all of them did. Some of them got abducted, you know. But it's not just one person. It's, it's, it's people that go there knowing that they could have access to a vulnerable woman and they can just flee because, you know, once you're on that highway, you're gone hundreds of miles in any direction. If you go up north, you're in Alaska, you go down south, you're back in, you know, Metro Vancouver. If you go east, you're back in Alberta, like you're, you're gone. Like it is just like, you know, and there's, it's, it, it, you know, in, in a sick way, it's, it's an ideal place for someone who's sick in the head who wants to target a vulnerable woman in an isolated area that's heavily wilderness and get away with it, which that's been the case. You know, so these are things that make crime in Vancouver, BC unique because, you know, again, we we don't seem to have a high rate of solving violent murders and crime. It seems like the only time these cases get solved if they get caught in the act. And, and speaking generally, right, if they do get caught and they can afford counsel, they can delay a very lengthy trial. And, and this seems like the court system, in my opinion, I'm not a legal expert, but it seems to favor the criminal who can afford good legal counsel. And, and you know, and the sentencing is not as, as brutal as you would if you did the same thing in the States. And the jail's you know, for the most part, I've known quite a few people that went to jail and, you know, they did quite well there. If they were smart and, you know, they kept out of trouble and stuff, they can actually do quite well. Like my friend, I said, Kevin, he, he went to jail and he worked in a sawmill off the prison grounds and made a lot of money, you know, worked out every day. He had his own key to his cell. He ate prime rib steak. He did, he practiced kickboxing and worked out and, you know, he came out probably in his best shape and healthiest he's ever been, right? So that's what makes crime unique in Vancouver, you know, being able to launder your money, access to vulnerable people that will buy your drugs, and for the most part, get away with it. So I'm going to leave here today. Uh, I will be producing more podcasts on a regular basis. I want to appreciate everyone who supported me this far. It's it means the world to me. I've gotten so much great feedback and positive interaction with people. And I really appreciate each and one of you. 
And, and some of the things I, I plan to do, like I said, is I, I'm planning to do a more of a documentary on the Highway of Tears in the summer. I'm going to travel up there. I'm going to take, you know, videos and, and, you know, talk to people and, you know, do, you know, really try to get more of a story, right? Get, get the people who are there, what they think, right? Uh, I plan to do uh, more video. I am started a YouTube channel. I haven't posted anything yet, but I'm going to be posting stuff also on YouTube. I will be doing a regular podcast. I'll try to do a podcast once or twice a week. And I'll be putting out a lot more videos, just a lot more short videos and this kind of current events and things that are going on too. So I'll be doing a lot more regular posting as well. So if you have any questions, feel free to directly DM me. I'm always happy to talk to people and I'm always happy to interact with you. And, and uh, I hope every one of you have an awesome day and thank you so much. Have a great day.